Math is hard. Cheating should be encouraged. I do it all the time in the department. Welcome back to EMS Cast, the show that brings you high-level, advanced education to you, the providers on the street. We're your hosts. I'm Matt Mendez. And I'm Ross Orpit. Ross, what do you have for us today? Today we're discussing a topic that I know gives a lot of people anxiety. Matt, if I were to ask you which patient population scares you the most on the ambulance, what would you say? Zombies. Okay, but when was the last time you saw one of those? I don't know. You never know. You might have already saw one, but it could be any day now. That's why I keep a bag with me at all times. Okay. Listen, I know you're going to ask about the bag, so I'll just tell you what's in the bag. (laughs) I keep a hatchet at all times uh, because I think it's a great close quarters weapon, but also makes for a good multi-purpose tool in a pinch. I also have one of those foldable shovels. Again, another good close quarters weapon, uh, but also helps you dig a pit toilet. Then I have the uh, earplugs with the string. That okay, all right. Them. Okay, all right. I'm going to go ahead and stop you there. I was I was not going to ask you about that, but if you'd like, we can save that for a future segment. I would. I would like that. Okay. What I was really getting at here, back in reality, was the critically ill pediatric patient. I think that scares the crap out of a lot of us, myself included. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, if I could change my answer, I would. I would definitely change it to the sick and dying kid. There's nothing more butt clinching than a critically ill child. Exactly. I think few in the medical system would disagree with that statement. That's why I brought on Whitney Barrett today to discuss the challenges we face in taking care of the critically ill pediatric patient. Whitney is the medical director for the Denver Health School of Paramedicine. She's the assistant medical director for the Denver Health Paramedic Division. Am I saying that correctly? You got it all right. (laughs) Yes. Is there anything else? I don't think so. Okay. (laughs) Whitney brought up some terrifying studies about our pre-hospital care of the sick kid. One study that came out in 2015 actually reviewed a ton of trip sheets and uh, looked at it specifically for different types of errors that occurred during the care of those patients. And those errors included the wrong intervention, medication dosing errors, an action that resulted in an injury or a near injury to the patient. And they found that about 65% of the trips that they reviewed had some sort of error in them. So I think looking at that data, we have to say what we're doing in EMS and how we're training people is probably inadequate. And I think that was one of the things that has really caused us to pause. Uh, There was another study that came out. It was part of the PREPARE trial that looked at the administration of epinephrine pre-hospital in kids in cardiac arrest. And you'd be shocked to know, based on their data, that about... 34% of kids only got epinephrine pre-hospital for cardiac arrest, which seems mind-boggling, right? Uh, The number of adults (laughs) uh, that get epi and cardiac arrest is probably 100%. Uh (laughs) So so to think that in in these pediatric patients, only 34% were getting epinephrine is just insane. Wait, what? Pause for a second. This is like basic ACLS, our bread and butter. One of the biggest metrics used to assess the quality of an EMS program is epinephrine administration, and we're only getting it right one-third of the time. You're not helping my anxiety here, Ross. Why do we fail so often? I'll let Whitney answer that question for you. I think one of the biggest problems is that we've been told for years that kids are different, that they're different than adults, that 
we have to do things in a different way. And I think that that alone causes a lot of stress. Another thing is that math is hard. Part of the thing of kids being different is that their doses are, have to be calculated and it's not the same thing that we do on a regular basis. And, and it's hard when you're stressed to then come up with the right answer in something that you do infrequently. So what can we do to fix this? How can we be better than these statistics? I think we need to change how we approach sick kids. Think about it more how we approach sick adults with sort of the same sort of swagger that we can come into a call for a cardiac arrest for an adult and translate that. What do we need to do to make that possible when we take care of kids as well? I like that. It's firehouse humor, but when we talk about adult codes, we often make the joke that they're already dead, so you can't make them worse. And as horrible as it is to think about a kid that way, it's the truth. But a lot of what we do in adults doesn't change with age or weight. Like medications, it's often one dose you need to memorize and not a weight-based calculation. You're totally right. I mean, let's take an adult cardiac arrest patient, for example. What is the dose of epinephrine for cardiac arrest for an adult, right? It's one milligram. It's not hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. I immediately it, knew the answer to that. Totally. Yeah. Benadryl, you know, like any of these, they come to mind almost without us even thinking about them. Yeah, full disclosure, I have given a eight-year-old a full dose of Benadryl because that was the immediate thing that just came to mind. Right? It's totally true. There's an author who um, is actually a Nobel Prize laureate who wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, it's by Daniel Kahneman. <laughs> I don't actually, Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> I don't actually know how to say his last name. Sorry. My name is Daniel Kahneman. Um, anyways, he wrote a really, really smart book with a lot of really important information in there. But it really breaks down the way that we think into two different types of systems. So we have system one thinking, which is the stuff that we know almost without thinking. So if I toss out there, you know, what's one plus one? Like you've already decided that that's two sort of almost even before I've finished the question. And it's the stuff that just comes to your mind uh, that doesn't take a lot of effort to come to the answer. There's also system two thinking, which is our slow thinking. Um, this is thinking that really requires a lot of mental effort um, and focus. It's like, I usually equate it to that time when you're sitting there thinking and your eyes kind of go up to the corner of, <laughs> of, of, your, of your head and you're like, oh, what, what was that? Matt, what's the dopamine drip rate for a man who weighs 175 pounds? Uh, wait, are people still using dopamine? I mean, I know the answer to like the third decimal pretty easily, but <laughs> I think we should just move on. Right. That is sort of that system two thinking. And so system one thinking actually frees us up to think about other things when we're running an arrest. What caused the arrest? What is the rhythm that we're looking at? And so what are the ways that we can pre-hospital in the same way we do in the hospital, decrease that system two thinking? So essentially what Whitney is saying is we need to find ways to turn system two thinking into system one thinking. Yeah. So I think there's certainly more and more ways that are out there to accomplish this. And first of all, I would I would just say that think about the resources that you provide for yourself. Be sure you know where your pediatric cheat sheet is. And I talk to our paramedic students about this um, when we go through the ped stuff. But make sure you have a sheet where it's all the stuff that you don't want to memorize or you can't memorize. What are normal vitals? What would be a good blood pressure or a heart rate or a respiratory rate for a kid of various ages? And you don't necessarily have to memorize them. Like I said, you just have to know where to find them. Yeah. And familiarize yourself with this card, right? Because you pull your, if you've never looked at this card and then you pull it out and you see all of these words just like vomited onto this sheet, you're still going to dive into that system to thinking and just be like, oh God, I have to like 
take five minutes and read what's on here, as opposed to if you just familiarize yourself with like, oh, my seizure meds are listed here, my weight's listed here by age and all of that. If you familiarize yourself with that beforehand, it can still be that system one thinking. Absolutely. And I think another thing to consider, especially since a lot of times we get hung up on the weight of the kids, since everything is dependent on the weight. Uh, certainly, if you know, you're know you a system where you use the Brazo tape, that's totally fine. But it, there's a lot of good data out there that age actually correlates really well with weight as well. Um, and that'll give you your ideal body weight. And all of our medications can safely be dosed based on ideal body weight. You can look that up we can probably link to that in some way as well to sort of be able to quickly get an estimate of a weight that's reliable and usable. And then I would also say get rid of that thought that it's cheating if you use these things. You just have to embrace it. I, I do it all the time in the department. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get too. pimped all the time by attendings and I have no problems just pulling out a card and looking at it. Yeah. I think the flip side of that is probably identifying those medications that are critical that you know and making sure that those medications are on your cheat sheet by volume and age for uh, for what you're going to give. Pause. This is an important point that I want to make sure we don't overlook. By volume. So not just by dose, not just the milligrams of the medication that you're going to give, but the actual milliliters. Because at the end of the day, if you look at those milligrams and then you look at a syringe full of two milliliters of this medicine that is concentrated at 0.5 milligrams per milliliter, and you're supposed to give 0.75 milligrams, well, then how many milliliters am I going to push through this syringe? You see how we just ended up in system two thinking again? So look at your cheat sheet and make sure that your concentrations of medications that you carry on the ambulance matches that on your cheat sheet. And then make sure your cheat sheet doses your meds by milliliters. So you don't end up back in system two thinking and you can just grab that syringe and give those milliliters to that age kid. You know, things like epi, things like dextrose, things that you want to have the answer to right away, knowing that things like solumedrol, you have plenty of time to give and you can look that up and get out your calculator or whatever else you need to do. But um, knowing and having reference to those medications that you want to be able to quickly access, I think is important. So I really like the idea of cheat sheets. I went to paramedic school uh, over 10 years ago now. And when I was in paramedic school, the instructors were almost proud of how many people failed the memorization portion of running like a scenario. And I think the exact opposite approach should be taken when it comes to anything, but especially kids. So cheating should be encouraged in the field because that's what you need to do to safely take care of that patient. One thing that I use in my own personal practice, and you can research what's best for you, but I have an app on my phone called PEDI-STAT, P-E-D-I-STAT, S-T-A-T. It's $5. It's a one-time purchase, and you can do age-based medications, equipment, and all of the sorts. You can also do weight-based if the parents know the weight, and you can also do length-based, believe it or not, by picking the color. And then it's all right there on your phone, and it's super in-depth and super easy to follow. Disclaimer here. I use PDSAT too. Matt introduced me to this and it is a great app, especially for equipment. But just like we were talking about before, PDSAT doesn't know your concentration of medications. So it gives medication dosing in milligrams and not milliliters. As we said before, doing the math to convert that milligrams into milliliters is not something we want to be doing in the heat of the moment. So that's just one limitation to the app you should be aware of. So what about the Brazzle tape? It's kind of been a staple. It's, it's in all the textbooks. 
Does that help? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. The the Braslow tape has certainly been the mainstay of pediatric care for, I think, a really, really long time. You know, interestingly, the Braslow tape was never designed for pre-hospital use. And if you take some time to go through one, especially those that have been made before 2017, it has dosing on there for things like fentanyl and midazolam and epinephrine that in our usual uses of those pre-hospital, those doses are three times, even 10 times the dose that you would normally give because the indications on the Braslow tape are for RSI or for you know induction for anesthesia or things like that. And so certainly if you are working in a system where your Braslow tapes are before 2017, the dosing on there is, is just going to be wrong for most of the common pre-hospital indications. And it's probably going to have a bunch of medications on there that you never need to know the doses of. So it just kind of convolutes looking at that cheat sheet makes it that much more difficult. Exactly. And to your point of, are you familiar with the things that you're looking at, unless you've really taken a lot of time to go through the Braslow tape and and familiarize yourself with the things Maybe that are- Maybe highlight the meds <laughs> that are actually in your protocol. <laughs> that are there or aren't there. Um, I think it just becomes a tool that is actually really bulky and hard to use. Certainly those tapes that have been made after 2017, which as we talked about before, there's been this really big shift in in how we equip people to take care of kids. And now the more recent editions of the Brazo tape have special sections that are really much more designed for our pre-hospital or emergency providers that give sort of the doses that would be appropriate for, for the more common uses that we see in those settings. Also, they take the most common concentrations and they actually go so far as to give you volumes of medication on that. Obviously, you need to make sure that if you're using the newer Braslow, that those concentrations are the same ones that you carry in your system, because that could be a source of error if that's what's what you have. But I think it's, you know, again, important to know what your equipment is. And again, you know, if you have old Braslow tapes, you just got to really be careful. <laughs> yeah. So Whitney has some criticisms for the Brazil tape. And obviously she works with an agency that has gone to a different system. But I think the vast majority of providers out there are actually going to be using the Brazil tape. So I think it's important if that's what you're using at your agency to sit down and take a look at it. Was it made before 2017 or after 2017? Because as she talks about after 2017, they started to add more pre-hospital specific guidelines in there. Sit down, take a look at it and find your pre-hospital medicines. Maybe even highlight them. Double check the concentrations and doses and make sure that they match your protocols. Matt actually used to use the Braslow tape where he worked, and he actually had a really cool trick when he was going on pediatric calls. Yeah, I learned this from an old timer. Uh, either, you know, right when you get on scene or right before you leave the station, get out the Braslow tape and stretch it, like lay it long ways along the stretcher and take that big, thick silk tape that most trucks have and tape it down to the stretcher so that when you get to the patient, you just lay the patient down on the stretcher and you pick the color right away. And it's just one of those extra steps to cognitively offload yourself. What about if you're in a system that doesn't use any sort of tool right now? Yeah. So I think now is a great time for you to advocate to your leadership <laughs> to think about instituting a system that helps you decrease that type two or that system two thinking. Like I mentioned before here in Denver, we use hand heavy. There are certain a lot, certainly a lot of homegrown systems that are out there as well. And, uh, and I think it's just really important as we think about providing the best care for all of our patients that we get to a point where everyone is equipped in some way to their system of providing easy access to pediatric information. 
you know, another piece of this is sort of not just the medications, but the equipment. Thinking about instead of having all of your PED stuff random in a box, is there a system also where you can consolidate that by age or by expected weight or something like that so that it again just decreases one more thought that you have to make when you're taking care of these kids. Yeah, I know in the department here, we actually have like tube size, OPA size, NPA size, and other commonly used tools or medications grouped in a bag all together by age, which like you said, can just decrease that type two thinking and really put you into system one, eight-year-old, grab that eight-year-old bag. I have my tube size. I have all the other equipment that I need specific for that age and weight. Yeah, and I think the most amazing thing about having systems like that is then you're suddenly freed up to think about sort of those higher level things that you're trained to think about that is actually why you're out there in the field. It's not just to pick right medications and pick the right equipment, right? It's to think about what's going on with the patient in front of you and provide the care that they need. Yeah, your differential diagnosis, the underlying cause, what treatments are appropriate for the underlying cause, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk about another strategy to decrease that system two thinking unseen, and that's using that pre-arrival time and that pre-arrival information to prepare yourself. This is something that I have started using in the emergency department as well, but using the time as you're waiting to get to the call or as you're waiting for the patient to get to you to think through sort of what you might expect, right? So if you're dispatched to a three-year-old with respiratory distress, right, as you're driving to the call, what vitals do you expect for a three-year-old? How much does a three-year-old usually weigh? Doing things like that, then even when you get there, if the kid is actually four or they're, you know, a cardiac issue rather than a breathing problem, at least you've sort of gotten yourself in the mental framework for thinking about a kid roughly that age and what your expectations uh, might be. Yeah, I used to, you know, I had some medics when they were training me tell me to do this all the time. And initially I was super down on it because I was like, well, half the time we get there, the dispatch information was nowhere near correct. And I have to suddenly shift my thought process. But especially when it comes to pediatrics, if you're dispatched to a pediatric three-year-old, pulling out that cheat sheet that you have, finding that three-year-old, finding the doses you need for the medications for that specific chief complaint, is helpful because even if you get there and suddenly it's actually a 12-year-old, you've already familiarized yourself with that cheat sheet. So all you have to do is shift over to where's the 12-year-old and you know where your meds are, you know what you're looking for. I would also advocate that it doesn't matter if that kid by your dispatch sounds sick or not. We already talked about how taking care of sick kids is infrequent. If you get in the habit on every single kid you go on looking at some vitals and thinking through sort of your process, um, it will only help you when you run on that kid that is actually sick. And then I think the last thing that I would just mention, because it sort of flies in the face of, I think, what a lot of us have learned, is remember the basics, right? For the sick kid in front of you, the basics hold true all the time. If they're not breathing well, help them breathe. Use the adjuncts you're familiar with, which are your OPAs, your NPAs, your BVM, to help them breathe. Yeah, there might be a little bit of nuance to it, but you don't have to worry that this is somehow different than normal. If they're in cardiac arrest, do chest compressions. And do give epi. <laughs> give epi. <laughs> All of the things that are basic for adults are also the basics for kids. There's not any rocket science behind any of that. So minimizing that or narrowing it down to those interventions that really matter, I think, can go a long way. 
Yeah, just because they're small, all that means is they're easy to move. You still treat them like you treat any other medical patient. You just have to use your cheat sheet to dose your meds accordingly. Yeah, I think the fact that kids are small has also lent itself to why we've done this like football pick up and run frequently because it's easy to do, right? Like you can't do that with your 60-year-old 200-pound patient. You actually have to take some time to do things. And then pre-hospital, we buy into a bunch of myths, right? Is like, oh, the most important thing is that I just get the patient to the hospital as fast as I can. The doctor just wants this kid to be from here to the hospital, or the scene is way too chaotic for me to stay here and do anything. I got to get out of here. And I think as we decrease sort of that load of system two, we can shift from that. And a lot of that chaos on the scene is actually probably our own chaos that is inside our own head. mm -hmm, Yeah. That doesn't allow us to sit and stop and think and take care immediately. One of the parts that's so important is just pumping the brakes for yourself that just because you can take this small child and run them to the back of your ambulance as quickly as possible doesn't mean that that's the best thing for them. That stopping, initiating your resuscitation, then moving them is the right thing to do because early compressions, early ventilations, those are the things that save lives. Initiating your transport to the ambulance without first doing and getting those things going can really make a difference in the outcome of these kids. Yeah, maybe stopping for a second and thinking to yourself, if this were adult, what would I do right now? And then after answering that question, thinking, does this patient being a child change any of that thought process right now? And a lot of times it's not. Right, right. Other than the dose of meds. <laughs> the dose of meds. Some of our pediatric experts might say, you know, prioritize those respirations sure, a little bit yeah. more. Mm-hmm. But again, like you're going to do that regardless for yeah. adults and kids. Starts and with A. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So Ross. Do you think we're ever going to feel comfortable taking care of sick children? Maybe not, but I think Whitney puts it really well when she says, You know, at the end of the day, I think we owe it to our patients, whether they're young or old, uh, to do the best we possibly can to provide them with care. And part of that for our pediatric patients is preparing ourselves, equipping ourselves beforehand to provide the care that we know that they need and initiating that before they get to the hospital. That we don't need the hospitals or the doctors or anything else to have the confidence we need to to initiate that care. Thanks again for joining us for another episode. I hope today's segment has helped you feel more prepared for the critically ill patient and empowered you to initiate care on scene and during transport, as this can be life-saving. Math is hard. Cheating should be encouraged. I do it all the time in the department. Those are the things that save lives. 